Mary sings these words. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones. He has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And He has sent the rich away with nothing. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in Thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. There's a grocery store right around the corner from our house where we live, my wife and I and our son, and I go there way too often. And I would like to think that I go there so often because I am an incredible cook, and I have to get these rare and strange ingredients, and every evening I'm inspired to make something new. But I go to the grocery store all the time because I have a 20-month-old at home. And when you have a kid at home, you got to go to the grocery store every day. I go to the grocery store so much, I know when not to go. (laughs) Sunday afternoons are the worst time to go to the grocery store. Do you all know this? Because people like me forget all the other stuff they're supposed to buy during the week. And on Sunday afternoon after church, think, hey, it's a great idea. There ain't going to be nobody at the grocery store right now. But it's always filled to the brim. And during Advent, it is about a bajillion times worse. So of course, it was last Sunday... When I thought, oh, I need to go to the grocery store, and I thought no one was going to be there, it was packed. Every aisle had people in it. Some of them were meticulously looking through the nutritional information, counting all their calories on, like, I don't know, mac and cheese, which no one should be eating if you're counting calories to begin with. There are other people who were just taking their arm and swiping every box of cereal off into their basket, assuming that that will get them through the next couple days. And like all grocery stores, there were old people looking at babies being pushed and saying, ooh, how precious, how beautiful. And there were young couples who saw babies and tried to stay as far away from them as possible. And there were babies that were crying about everything. So I grabbed my basket with my items, you know, just your normal Sunday afternoon fare. I had chocolate, I had baby wipes, and I had deodorant, you know, just the stuff you always need. And I had three items in my basket, so I went to the line, ten items or less, But you all know what happened. There were 10 people in front of me who had way more than 10 items in their shopping basket. And so I waited patiently. I practiced my Christian virtue. I didn't even have my collar on, but I wanted to act like a good person. So I waited, and I waited, and that is when the fight broke out. Now, I don't know if you all have ever seen a fight at a grocery store. It is something to behold. I was about five people back, so I could only catch glimpses of what was happening. I could only hear parts of it. But there was a woman and all of her items on the conveyor belt, and she was screaming at her attendant. And the screaming turned into pushing, and the pushing turned into slapping, and the slapping turned into punching until the manager was called and broke up the fight. And, of course, I sat there four people back, trying really hard not to peek over someone's shoulder and see what was really going on. My listen... And after the fight was finally broken up, the manager was standing there with the employee and this woman, all I heard were these words, I'm just so hungry. Please let me take something. And the employee, of course, said, well, ma'am, if we gave something to you for free, we'd have to give something to everyone for free. And now you need to leave, or we're going to call the police. And all of us stood there doing nothing. Not 
I think. That's what happens when you go to the grocery store on a Sunday afternoon right before Christmas. Today we call the fourth Sunday of Advent. And some of you are here because you're eagerly awaiting everything that will come with tonight and tomorrow morning. Some of you are here probably thinking more about what's under the tree than what's in my sermon. Some of you are probably in deep grief, thinking about how all the best Christmases are behind you. And some of you are here because you just want a little more hope. And today, this is when the pre-Christmas fervor is at its zenith. This is when people go crazy. Some of you are going to rush out of here after church to take care of all the remaining items on your list because Christmas hits us like a brick wall tomorrow morning. And it's at this moment, this precise moment with all the fear and the fervor that we are treated to the voice and the song of a poor Jewish girl with a song of praise. Mary sings this song in decoration of the new arrival of God made manifest in her womb. She not only accepts her call to bear God in the flesh, but she also marvels at all that God has done, all that God is doing, and all that God will do. We call her song the Magnificat because it is magnificent. It begins by celebrating the greatness of God. That of all the people in the world, God chose Mary, the most unlikely and unworthy of all people, to bear God in the flesh. Then she proclaims God's liberating compassion for those who are poor. She declares that God is going to flip everything upside down, that nothing will ever be the same. And Mary identifies the God growing in her womb as the God who will identify himself with the poor, the marginalized, and the hungry. And at its best, Mary's song, it's just another verse in this song that God has been singing since the beginning. A song that begins with, Let there be light. A song that has a verse that says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And it finds its chorus here in Mary's song. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones. He has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. But you notice the tense has changed. Because in God's initial covenant, it's all about what God is going to do, what will happen in the future. But in Mary's song, she says God has already changed everything even before the baby is born. I've come to find that because we know the story of Jesus' birth, we know about Mary and Joseph, we know about the angels and the shepherds and the magi, we know all of it so well that it no longer shakes us like it once did. Instead of being rocked by these fulfilled promises in Mary's Magnificat, we imagine Christmas instead as portrayed by little children wearing bedsheets and pipe cleaner angel wings. But this story, what Mary sings about, it is as real as the person sitting next to you, and it demands our attention and our reaction. I'd like you all to pull out your bulletins because there's a special image on the front that I want you to look at for a moment. (coughs) On the front of your bulletin, you'll find uh, an image of a modern Mary and Joseph. And I'm almost positive that many of you will be offended by the fact that this is on our bulletin. But frankly, if you're here on a Sunday morning on Christmas Eve, you're the kind of people who can handle being a little offended. Because this image shows Mary and Joseph as if they were standing outside the 7-Eleven that's just down the street from us. And the attention to detail in the image is what has stuck with me from the first time I saw it. It's hard to tell, but Mary is wearing a Nazareth High School hoodie. 
It's a reminder for us that she was a teenager when this happened. She wears an engagement ring around her finger given to her by Jose, otherwise known as Joseph, an older man. There's no vacancy at Dave's City Motel, David's City, what we call Bethlehem. And Mary even rests under the star, though this one is neon and it serves as an advertisement for an adult beverage. This image of Mary and Joseph, it might come across as being upsetting. And if it does, it's only because we've lost sight of how offensive the Christmas story really is. Because God chose these people to bring the incarnation to the world. God chose these people to right all the wrongs that were committed by the world. Mary's womb is the start to a story that ends with an empty tomb. I am not proud to admit that all of us kept standing there at the grocery store when that woman ran away out of fear and embarrassment and hunger. Her hunger is one that I will probably never know. It's a hunger that probably none of you will ever know. But I'm positive that it's a hunger Mary knew all about. We forget that Mary was the least of these. A phrase we throw around all the time without really thinking about it. She, in the midst of a frightening life, perhaps among the pangs of hunger, declared that in her womb the coming change is there to reverse the doom. She was favored by God, but not by anybody else. And she saw what would be accomplished by God through his promise. She, like us, had a glimpse of the end of the story. God's story in Christ in Mary is offensive. It really is. It's offensive because it goes against the grain of what we think is right and wrong, what we think is weak and strong. Because if we encountered this couple on the front of our bulletin, there's a good chance that we would treat them the same way that others and I treated that woman at the grocery store, with complete indifference. You know, because we've got our own problems to worry about. We've got children to feed, presents to wrap, in-laws to impress. It's hard to feed the hungry when we have bills to pay. It's hard to think about bringing down the mighty when we feel so powerless. And you know what? That's okay. Because we're not here to save the world. That's Jesus' job. God declares through Mary in Christ what has happened, what will happen. God's mercy is for those who fear Him. God has demonstrated strength. God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones. God has lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things. God has sent away the rich empty. And God did and does all of this in Jesus. The great challenge of following him, calling ourselves disciples, is to see God's promises as having already come to pass. Such that instead of ignoring the woman at the store, instead of ignoring the couple on the corner, we see them as being involved in God's toppling of the powers and the principalities. And instead of accepting life as it is, instead of accepting the status quo, we recognize that all of us are works in progress. That instead of passively accepting Mary's song, we hear it for the controversy that it really is. Because our God is scandalous. 
Our God chooses an old couple in Abraham and Sarah to mark the covenant between God and humanity. An old couple that we might want to relegate to a retirement home. God chooses a little shepherd boy named David to bring down the mighty Goliath. A boy we might chastise in church for being too loud. Our God chooses an unwed, pregnant teenager to bring about the one who will lift up the lowly and bring down the mighty. A girl that we might judge from afar without offering assistance. We are so steeped in this world of our own making that we forget how scandalous our God really is. And this season, this Advent time, this Christmas time, it has the capacity to bring out the very best and the very worst in us. But Mary, in her song, she reminds us that wealth and power and prestige, they have no influence in the realm of God's kingdom. In fact, they are used by God to bring up the low. I know that's not a popular message to bring on Christmas Eve, on this fourth Sunday of Advent. But it wasn't popular during the time of Mary either. Rich people never like hearing that their money is going to be taken away. In fact, that's the message that God Jesus killed. But thanks be to God, we know that what started in Mary's womb was also there in the empty tomb. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.